You're listening to Pulse Radio. Gotta let it ride. That boy, I stray. 33 points in the second half. Did I tell y'all that we're gonna win? It's icy right now. <laughs> Cavaliers, they play cool, but you playing against Ice Trey? Come on, man. Clutch time. It's over. And will this performance be enough for y'all to put some respect on Trey Young's name? 33 points in the second half. He figured out y'all's defense. Y'all trying to play him in all these different defensive schemes, put bigs on him, started putting him on ice skates. Come on, man. Ice Trey, y'all are bugging. If y'all hating, call him Joe Budden. Shout out to Joe Budden, man. He the podcast OG. But still, Heat and Hawks. First round series, Sunday, 1 p.m. Y'all gonna stop playing with me. I told y'all, all right? Listen, I told y'all. Y'all are sitting here listening to these media narratives. Y'all are sitting here listening to the media tell y'all about how the Nets are so scary. They have 15, 16 segments on first take, undisputed, all these sports shows about how scary the Nets are. How, oh my gosh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving playing 48 minutes a night and the rest of their team scoring six points in the fourth quarter. That's a winning basketball team. And that's a team that the Celtics should be afraid of. When did y'all see the Hawks when it was really time to win? When it was winning time, they put the game away and they showed you two times. I hope the Nets were watching. I hope the Nets were watching this game. They weren't. They, they, they were enjoying. They, they definitely were enjoying. Okay. They were enjoying their rest before they play on Sunday. But y'all should watch. All the Nets fans, all these fans of this individualistic basketball, super team fans. Did y'all see what the Hawks did? The Hawks beat the Cavaliers 107 to 101. And I want to read off the stats for four of the five, uh, four, like four of the five starters, three of three, three of the five starters, not named Trey Young because Clint Capella went down with injury. Danilo Gallinari had 14 points, made two three-pointers. You had Kevin Herter had 13 points. DeAndre Hunter had 10 points five rebounds and Clint Capella was off to a pretty nice game. Seven points, eight rebounds. He was three for three from the field. And then Boban Bogdanovich came off the bench scorching. We'll talk more about him in a second. Boban Bogdanovich, 19 points, five rebounds, two assists, three steals to end the game. Coming off the bench. That's a team. That's a team to me. Making it count. It's not just on Trey Young. Trey Young was struggling in that first half, and the team stepped up for him. See, I keep hearing these, this conversation about Trey Young, and I really think that the NBA doesn't like Trey Young, and NBA fans don't know how to respect greatness when it's not in a big market. Y'all let the media create y'all stars. Y'all let the media show y'all what's good and what's not instead of going to discover it for yourselves. Trey Young showed y'all he was like that against the New York Knicks, the NBA's marquee team. They wanted the Knicks to be successful. They wanted the Knicks back in the playoffs. 
and he showed y'all who he was against New York Knicks. Then he goes against the 76ers with Ben Simmons guarding him, and he showed y'all who he was. He's not just a scorer. He's a passer and a playmaker that can make his teammates better. Then he goes to Milwaukee and scores 48 points in game one against the eventual NBA champions, then shimmied on them. Then he came again and leads the league in total points and total assists. First time since Nate Archibald that that's been done. 28 points a game this season. Put his team on his back. 56 points against the Blazers earlier in the season. Showed y'all he was like that. Still was shimmying, shimmying on the nets. Hitting threes from half court. Nothing like Steph Curry. He's Trey Young. But y'all still don't give him respect. Y'all gonna put Ja Morant over Trey Young. Make Ja Morant third team All-NBA. And the list hasn't come out yet. But we're tabulating the votes on Twitter. And we're seeing who all is voting what. And what what the vote tabs are looking like. And Trey Young is gonna get third team All-NBA. But he had a historic season by any metric. But y'all are gonna reward Nikola Jokic as the MVP. Because Nikola Jokic, through analytics, had a successful season. But he's third-team All-NBA. Ja is second-team All-NBA. And y'all are saying that Ja's better than Trey. Y'all are saying Luka's better than Trey. Trey Young is the best young player in the league, man. And I, just, I don't know what more Trey can do to show y'all this except win a championship, which most likely won't happen this year. But, bro, what more can he do? Man, listen, let, let, let me talk about this game. Like, like I, I just don't understand how Trey Young consistently delivers quality. Trey Young consistently elevates his game when it matters, and he's disrespected. Y'all chant F Trey Young. Y'all talk about him. Y'all diss him. And guess what? When y'all do that, it became personal for him. Just like y'all's GOAT, Michael Jordan. Now, when he says it, in the last dance, oh, y'all love it. It becomes a meme. But when y'all say F. Trey Young, because Cleveland was saying F. Trey Young during that game when the Hawks took the lead, Trey said, oh, F. Trey Young? Bet. And proceeded to take over the game and cross up the bigs y'all were trying to switch on him and destroying every switch that you had and started playmaking, making the right plays, and just faking out the Cavaliers' defense. I just want y'all to really put some respect on Trey Young's name. Ice Trey. And he's going to make South Beach real icy. Oh, man, it's going to be a snowstorm coming in, man. It's going to be a snowstorm coming into South Beach on Sunday. Y'all over here saying that the Heat are going to sweep the Hawks? That the Hawks ain't like that? The Hawks ain't good? Bro, Trey Young is the Hawks at this point. And then John Collins might come back. That's his lob threat. Clint Capella's out, and, and hopefully Clint Capella comes back. But, bro, let's just talk about the game first. I'm getting ahead. I'm, I'm talking about the summer. I'm talking about South Beach. L- let's talk about what happened t- t- like today, all right? So the Cavaliers' defense, they stepped up in the first quarter. Them, them boys could not miss. I was like, dang, like, is this the three-point contest? Like, they're raining threes from everywhere. Like, turn the sliders down. <laughs> like, the Cavaliers were making every shot that they could, they started off the game at the end of the first half. They were ten from tw- they were ten for twenty one, forty seven point six percent from the three, and the Hawks were three of seventeen. Laurie Marketing had seventeen points at the half, and Darius Garland had thirteen, and Karis Levert, if I'm not mistaken, had eight points. 
So they were cooking. They, their top three guys that really can get them a bucket were cooking. And the Cavaliers had an interesting defensive scheme that was different from what you saw on Wednesday against, against the Hornets. The Hornets immediately from the first possession were trapping Trey Young, throwing multiple bodies at him, and forcing him to make the other players on the team step up and beat them. Now that bit them towards the end because Herder and Bogdanovich and Hunter and Gallo, they started knocking down those shots. So that was a bad strategy by the Hornets. And then eventually Trey Young woke up in the second half as he tends to do. Today, you saw the Cavaliers and J.B. Bickerstaff, they were making Trey engage with the centers and the power force. Now, I have to go back and look. I didn't see Evan Mobley switch to guard Trey Young. I might have just missed it. But mainly, Laurie Markkinen switched on Trey Young. And Jared Allen, who was back this game, switched on Trey Young. And at first, it caused Trey Young, because what they did was they switched the big on Trey Young. And also, you saw Karis LeVert in that third possession guard, Trey, because they, they sent him three defenders in the first three possessions that the Hawks had, right? And they stayed home on the shooters. So when Trey's tried to cross over and drive, they didn't help because it didn't allow Trey Young to get a pass off. So Trey was dribbling the air out the ball, and then that forced him. It's six, five seconds left on the shot clock. Now you're forced to take an errant shot that's a low percentage shot, which is why in the first half he shot three for 11. That was the reason why, because you're forcing him to play hero ball because you're taking away his weapons. But in the second half, what you saw Trey do is that Trey started to engage that switch. Because the Cavaliers, those weren't forced switches where the Hawks forced Laurie Marketing or Jared Allen on Trey Young. Trey Young started to, he, he got the pick, and then immediately the big engaged Trey Young, and Trey Young hit him at the point of attack. Trey Young was hitting step backs. Trey Young was effortlessly driving by them. And because Jared Allen is up trying to guard Trey Young on the perimeter, when Trey drives by, there's no one in the paint to stop him because Evan Mobley is out on Gallo because Gallo can shoot. So now you, you, you're playing basically five out. Well I, well, I would say four out because Okongwu was out in the second half. So you're playing four out basketball. You have Okongwu in, in, in the dunker spot. You don't want to leave Okongwu because Trey just passed it to him, allowed it up to him, and that's a dunk. So now Trey blasts past you. Jared Allen is on the perimeter. Evan Mobley can't leave Gallo because Trey will find him. Easy layup. That was all that... Trey Young was doing in the second half because he figured out that defensive scheme. Now, J.B. Bickerstaff is one of the best coaches in the league, and I want to just give my respect to the Cavaliers because they're a tough team. They finally were able to have a winning season without LeBron, and when they get their pieces back, like when Jared Allen finally comes back 100% healthy, because I, I could tell he was laboring a bit. He wasn't the same Jared Allen as before, although his presence did cause some havoc in the game, and it scared me a bit. But when they get Colin Sexton back and we see who gets that starting job, you know, Darius Garland had an all-star season. They get some more pieces around Darius Garland and that young core. Hopefully, Kevin Love should come back. Like, Kevin Love definitely should come back because <laughs> Kevin Love might as well retire a Cavalier because I believe that he has a place on this team. But I'm telling you, they are a wing scorer away. They are a star wing scorer away from really contending in the East. I'm telling you. Maybe it's LeBron, maybe it's Donovan Mitchell, maybe it's somebody else. But the Cavaliers are a wing scorer away 
from really being a name in the East. So I got to give a hand clap to the Cavaliers. Just like the Hornets, I hated half the end of this. Y'all did amazing, and I agree with what everyone is saying. The Cavaliers should not have been in the playing tournament. Injuries messed them up. But guess what? The Hawks shouldn't have been either, and they showed y'all that. The Hawks are a playoff team, and they still have that swag to step up and win a game when it matters. So they were playing that defense on, on Trey Young and really just Hunter and really almost all of the players in the first half were not able to really knock down shots except for Bogdan Bogdanovich. Bogdan Bogdanovich had 14 points on five of five shooting in the first half and he shot three three-pointers and all three of them went in. 14 points with Trey having six points. So at that point, I honestly thought that the Hawks were going to lose. I thought that, man, listen, we had a good run. You know, we had a good run. Things were all good. Last year was great. The Hawks actually had a winning season, and they salvaged the season that was stricken by injuries and COVID and also just some mismatches that were going on with the locker room and the front office and all the different stuff. But that second half, though, they immediately woke up. And I want to point this out because this is something that is the complete opposite of the next game. So this game, the Cavaliers led in the first quarter and they started off hot. They won the first quarter 36 to 25. They then proceeded to lose the second, third, and fourth quarter. The second quarter, they were outscored by the Hawks 26 to 25. Then they were outscored by the Hawks 33 to 25. Then they were outscored by the Hawks again in the fourth quarter, 23 to 17. And they ended up being outscored by the Hawks 56 to 36 in the second half. That's interesting. After they were leading 61 to 51. The Hawks were able to adjust. And that's the one thing we had criticisms on Nate McMillan about. And really a lot of coaches in the NBA, like Steve Nash, Nate McMillan, Doc Rivers. The thing we always say about them is that they don't know how to adjust. You see a team play one way. You try to play to the way that they're playing on offense and on the offensive and the defensive end. Then they make an adjustment. Now you're playing like, like you were before instead of making the adjustment to the adjustment that they made, because it's a chess game. Coaching at any level in, in any sport is a chess game. But some of these coaches play checkers because they don't want to get in their strategy bag. That's what, makes, that's what makes Bill Belichick an amazing coach. That's what made Mike Krzyzewski a great coach. That's what makes Monty Williams the best X's and O's coach in the NBA. That's what makes Eric Spolster, especially on the defensive end, an amazing coach and Tyron Lue an amazing coach because they're going to get your star player out their scheme. I'm interested to see how Trey Young acquiesces to the Heat's defense in the first round. But Nate made those adjustments and the Hawks made those adjustments in the second half and the stats tell you that. Because when you, when you lose the first half 61-51, to 51, but you score more points in the second half and you hold them to 36 points. That says a lot about the adjustments that you made on both ends. Now, don't get me wrong. The Cavaliers were missing shots. And that was the problem I said about the Cavaliers against the Nets. If the Cavaliers could had another reliable scorer outside of Darius Garland and Karis LeVert was stepping up, but he eventually cooled down. 
Karis LeVert ended the game, all right? Karis LeVert ended the game with 16 points, and he shot four three-pointers. So he was going in at first, and he was trying to go tip for tap with Trey. But then he cooled down. Darius Garland had 21 points. Laurie Marketing had 26 points at the end of the game. So Darius Garland was trying to save the team, and Darius Garland started playing terrible. Darius Garland ended the game 9 of 27, shooting 33% from the field. He only made one three-pointer, right? So, yeah, you had Karis LeVert trying to step up, but when it mattered, you were bricking. Meanwhile, Trey Young stepped up and was making the right plays, scored 33 points in the second half, and basically erased everything he did that first half, and now he was non-existent in that first half and got the win. Clint Capella got injured. I'm not going to lie to you. When he got injured, I was like, dude, this game is over. Because you're playing against a Cavaliers team with Jared Allen, who now is back. He's a, a great defensive player and rebounding machine. And then Evan Mobley is a great defensive player and rebound machine. And you know that Cleveland, and we saw this all year, Cleveland plays with two big players like it's 2002. Like the Cavaliers are playing like they're about to play against the David Robinson, Tim Duncan Spurs. Like we got to put Allen on, on Robinson and we got to put Mobley on Tim Duncan. That's how they play. They play like a team from 2002 in a league, that a five-out league where your centers are scoring buckets. But they were successful because they were able to prevent you from scoring and both Mobley and marketing is a different story, but Mobley and especially Allen was able to switch on the perimeter players and give them fits with his length. That's why they were so successful. They weren't, they weren't archaic because they were successful in switch defense, but the Hawks were able to acquiesce and you saw Clint Capella was doing pretty good against them. He was doing good on defense. He was playing his role, getting good offense, starting off seven points, eight rebounds. So when he got injured and he hyperextended his knee and went out the game, I was like, man, like the Hawks are not going to get any rebounds. <laughs> like, the, like the rebound advantage is done. But Okongwu came in and my boy Okongwu that we always talk about had nine rebounds. He had one more than Clint Capella. He at the very least replicated Clint Capella on the rebounding front. Nine rebounds. And altogether, the Hawks actually won the rebound battle. They won 42 to 36 in rebounds. They had six more rebounds than the Cavaliers. They had 10 offensive rebounds to the Cavaliers, eight, and 32 offensive rebounds to the Cavaliers, 28. So they actually won the rebound battle. And the game came down to a blown pass by Danilo Gallinari because Danilo, I think, had Darius Garland on him. It was like, you know, um, end of the shot clock, fourth quarter, game was, you know, whittling down to, I think, about the three two three minute mark, and Gar and, and um he had Darius Garland on him. I think he saw, um it might have been Kevin Herter or DeAndre Hunter driving, so he tried to or, or I think it, it it was it was Delon Wright. They were driving. Gallo tried to force feed the pass, and then I believe it was a Cavaliers player that I can't remember that stole the ball on the pass. So then. I believe the ball gets to marketing. Maybe marketing stole it, but marketing throws the ball back to Kevin Herter. <laughs> Instead of calling a timeout, they throw the ball back to Kevin Herter, and essentially that was the end of the game. Because I believe Trey Young gets fouled. He goes to the line and makes both of them, and essentially the game was over there. 
So the Cavaliers season really ended on an errant pass from Laurie Marketing. Like the game was masterful. This is what the playoffs and the play-in is supposed to be. I love the play-in. Anybody that doesn't like the play-in, you're tripping. You had two good games, and the Nets Cavaliers game was nice, but you had the Timberwolves and the Clippers, and you had the Hawks and the Cavs. Those two games, if someone says, oh, I hate the play-in, there's no need for it, show them those. So show, show these teams those two games because these were two teams that are going to be in the play-in anyway, the, the Timberwolves and the Clippers. The Hawks and the Cavaliers, that really should have been the 4-5 matchup. You want me to be real? Instead of it being the 76ers and the Raptors, the 76ers should be a higher seed, to be honest. And it should have been Hawks and Cavaliers for a full seven-game series, if you want me to be real. But injuries and COVID messed up a lot of teams, none more than the Bulls, than the Hawks, and the Cavaliers in the East. Yeah, the Heat had injuries and they had COVID outbreaks, but they still were able to get wins. That's very true. But the Heat, as I always said, they have a deep team. The Cavaliers, the Hawks are not that fortunate. And that's just the honest to God truth. At the end of the day, it was a great game, but it was a tale of two halves. And you saw an Atlanta team with Nate McMillan that finally adjusted. And they're going to take that same energy to South Beach and play the Miami Heat and was the Miami Heat winning either six or seven games. I promise you, the team I saw tonight is not going to go out without a fight. The Heat are probably going to win. They're most likely going to win. But they're going to channel the 2008 Hawks that took the Boston Celtics, the eventual NBA champion, big three Boston Celtics, to seven games. Do y'all remember that? That was before they played LeBron James and the Cavs that year. The Hawks took the Celtics to seven games in 2008 with that super team. I'm telling you, I can see the Hawks doing the same thing this year. And this might be a like the, the second best series after the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies because I still stand by that being the best series hands down because I think they're so evenly matched. And it's Anthony Edwards versus John Morant, the future like stars of the NBA. I'm, I'm excited for that. But I think that number two is going to be Hawks and, and, and Heat. You can't tell me nothing. And I saw a team that's going to give the Heat trouble. Trust me. But I digress. We'll see. Um, we'll see what happens on Sunday, 1 p.m., the Hawks play. But I told y'all, y'all going to quit playing with Ice Trey. Y'all going to quit playing with the clutchest player in the NBA when the lights are the brightest and he's away and y'all saying F. Trey Young and y'all are booing him. He says bet and he goes out there and steals the game. Y'all thought it was sweet. Because the regular season, it was tough. But that's what the play-in's for. They were able to get right, and now they're in the playoffs where they belong, and they're about to give the Heat some fits. Y'all can say, oh, he's a fanboy, he's a homer, he don't know basketball. Dog, I'm just looking at what's on the floor. But congratulations to the Cavaliers. Like I said, I'm a basketball fan first more than anything. Great season. They have a lot of great building blocks, great players. I'm a big fan of, of Okoro. Okoro was playing some good defense. When they went just perimeter and they didn't switch a big on Trey, he was playing good defense on Trey. He was doing great ball to now defense on Trey. Darius Garland's a good guy. So I'm, I can't wait to see what the Cavaliers turn into. But for right now, it's the Hawks season. And it's, Haw it's playoff time in Georgia. It's playoff time in Atlanta. And it's playoff time in South Beach because it's getting real icy. 
Oh man, I know it's real cold down there right now. I know it's real. I'm just about 20 degrees down there in South Beach right now because the Hawks coming down and Trey Young coming down and he icy, man. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the final play in game of the play in tournament between the New Orleans Pelicans and the Los Angeles Clippers that actually ended up being a better game than I definitely expected. Uh, because listen, I'm not going to lie to you. The first half, I was half watching because I was just so high and crazy off of the Hawks win. I was high off the Hawks win. I just was excited. I was in spaces listening to the Hawks fans talking about the win. I was just thinking about how the series is going to go. I was looking up different stuff and I was just ready just for Sunday, honestly, to be real, that I honestly didn't do the Pelicans or the Clippers do due diligence because they played some good ball in, in the second half, but the first half, you saw a lot of different things. Um, from what I saw, the Pelicans came out with a lot of energy, and the Clippers just looked deflated. Typically, this happens with Tyron Lue teams, especially these Clippers teams, where the first half, they'll punt the first half, they'll keep it at a respectable distance, then the second half, they just steal it. And that is essentially what happened. Like The first half was nothing to talk about. Like the Pelicans were getting everything that they wanted and they staked out a pretty comfortable lead, but in an era of high volume three-point shooters and five-out basketball, which Tyron Lue deploys often, you knew that the game wasn't over. So in the second half, you saw the Clippers win the quarter 18 to 38, the second quarter. Midway through the first quarter, they held the Pelicans to four points while the Clippers went on to score 20. So I thought the game was over. I thought that it was going to be a backdoor blowout where the Clippers were down. Then Tyron Lue made the adjustment. And of course the adjustment was play like y'all playing football, rough them up, be physical with CJ, be physical with Brandon Ingram, trap them, switch everything, go under screens, make sure that CJ don't get a clean look force the other guys to beat you, trap whoever has the ball. If CJ got the ball, top of the key, trap him. If Valanchunas has the ball, high post, trap him and force them to make a bad pass or an errant pass and take up all their 24 seconds. That's the adjustment defense that Tyron Lue often deploys. And it worked. As we saw, they scored 18 points after, score, after scoring 30 points the first quarter, 26 points the, the second quarter. That third quarter was that point where that Tyron Lue, that Tyron Lue switch happened. He flipped that switch and said, we're trying to win this game. But Tyron Lue and the Clippers have lost two games where the adjustments that they made with the Timberwolves, the star of the game, they knocked Cat out of his game. He had probably the worst game of his professional career. It might have been other stuff going on outside of basketball, but on the court, he was not doing great. They flustered him. They trapped him. He shot like what? Didn't he shoot 3 4 11 for the game? And had like 11 points? That was Tyron Lue's mastermind defense knocking Cat out the game with traps and just being physical with him and making him work for every point. But he had nothing for Anthony Edwards. And then D'Angelo Russell turned up towards the second half of the game and he started scoring and they had nothing for him. And the Timberwolves are now playing the Grizzlies in the playoffs. This game was, hey, second half, we made adjustments. We started locking y'all up. But Brandon Ingram, when y'all trapped him and y'all switched Reggie Jackson onto him, he started going to the post 
and punishing Reggie Jackson. Y'all started switching everything. C.J. McCollum started driving on y'all. The same thing that Trey was doing when they switched the big on him in the Hawks Cavaliers game. Like that adjustment that you made, it's a chess game. And what Tyron Lue didn't do is that he didn't adjust to the adjustment that the players made on the court to what you were doing on defense. Now, the Pelicans made some great shots in uh, the, the, the fourth quarter. They scored 31 points in the fourth quarter. That was their highest scoring quarter. They scored 31 points, held the Clippers to 17, and the Clippers missed a lot of shots that they should have made, and both of them were playing hockey football defense. Like, they were almost fighting out there. I'm like, am I watching the final playing game, or am I watching Friday Night SmackDown? I'm like, boy, like, y'all are shoving, y'all are pushing, and the referees let them play. Like, this was playoff atmosphere for real. Like, towards the end, it looked like pickup ball. You know how with pickup ball, like, there's no ref out there, so folks that get physical, they'll start shoving, they'll die for the ball, they, they, they playing too hard, they try hards, and they just trying to get the win. That was how that Clippers-Pelicans game looked towards the end. Reggie Jackson was the man. Like Reggie Jackson had 27 points. And like I said, I said this. Remember, I said this in the pregame. I said that typically when Kawhi Leonard or Paul George is out, especially when both of them are out, Reggie Jackson becomes either the second guy or he becomes the star. The offense sort of is predicated around him as a scoring point guard that can shoot, but also is insanely quick and that, and that can make plays and slash. And Reggie Jackson had a game. He had 27 points, seven rebounds, eight assists, two steals, one block, and he hit two three-pointers. Like Reggie Jackson was the man, but he had help from Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris, 27 points, nine rebounds, five assists, hit four three-pointers. I wasn't expecting that. They showed up in like they showed up. They played great offense and they played great defense in that third quarter with the switch everything defense and the five out offensive sets that Tyron Lue was running. They played great in that. But at the end of the day, they didn't capitalize at the end. And on the Pelican side, Brandon Ingram did great 30 points. CJ McCollum. 19 points. Brandon Ingram wanted to go to the playoffs. Brandon Ingram played like he should have always played. Like Brandon Ingram had that star quality. We all felt as if Brandon Ingram's archetype is that of a Kevin Durant because Brandon Ingram is so small, but he's a great mid-range shooter. And his archetype is like, hey, he's a, he's a tall, lanky guy. He plays pretty good defense, shoots the mid-range shot well. We always compared him to Kevin Durant. He had a Kevin Durant esque game today now i'm not saying kevin durant as far as his efficiency and the way kevin durant plays but the way that brandon ingram led and stepped up for his team cj mccullum sort of took the back seat to bi and bi was finding ways to score when they trapped him when they they, they sent pressure to him he wasn't phased and he started to adjust and that was what switched the game in the fourth quarter i was like bro if reggie jackson is on you Turn around and hit that fadeaway. Reggie's not going to be able to get, to get to it. Or just turn and just go into the paint. You might meet a second defender, but just pass that ball. But he was able to adjust to the defense that was in front of him. But we have to show love. Like, you know, Murphy, Trey Murphy, the rookie, Trey Murphy the third. he had 14 points. He had five rebounds. He shot four from six from the three-point line. 
But I have to show love to Larry Nance Jr. because Larry Nance might have earned him a starting spot, man. Larry Nance Jr. 14 points, 16 rebounds, 4 assists. And he had some game-winning rebounds, and he had a putback that I think was the dagger. Larry Nance Jr. stepped up. I thought his father was out there. <laughs> I thought I thought Larry Nance Sr. was out there. I'm like, did they switch places? Am I playing 2K right now? Because Larry Nance Jr. stepped up. And that's the reason why the Pelicans are going on to play the Suns on Sunday at 930. That's the reason why. I never thought I would say that. The Pelicans started off 3-12 and 12 on the season. We were having conversations about Zion going to another team because we thought Zion didn't even want to play with these boys. And with Zion on the bench watching, Charles Barkley fat-shaming him in the post-game show with the Brandon Ingram interview saying him and Brandon Ingram don't eat at the same places because Brandon Ingram is slim and Zion got a little weight on him. Chuck being Chuck. They won against the Clippers with one of the best coaches in the league. That is the brilliance of the play-in tournament because just like the NCAA tournament, you never know what will happen. And sometimes the better team doesn't get the win because I still believe even without Paul George, when you look at them on paper, they're the better team. They have the better players all around up and down the roster. But when Rodney Hood's not playing, when Paul George is ruled out, when you have to find offense and find players that can really produce for you, that matters. Now, with the Clippers, I wanted to say this real quick, and, I, and I'll get out of here because the playoffs start tomorrow. My thing when it comes to the Clippers, I want to have this conversation because I think it's important. The Lakers are often talked about when it comes to LeBron and his legacy because we put so many stakes on how LeBron James teams do because we compare him to Michael Jordan. So because of that, LeBron James's teams, the Cavaliers, the Heat, the Lakers, they're often scrutinized heavier than other teams. And I saw a tweet that was so interesting, and I'm going to paraphrase the tweet. The tweet said, and this wasn't by me, the tweet said that people call Anthony Davis street clothes, and they talk about how injury-prone Anthony Davis is and all oh, the Lakers should trade Anthony Davis because he's never available. But has anybody talked about how Kawhi Leonard has missed this whole entire season? Has anybody talked about how Kawhi Leonard, when the Clippers made the, the Western conference finals run and very well could have made the NBA finals for the first time in their franchise history. And Kawhi Leonard got injured and wasn't there. Can anyone talk about that? Cause Anthony Davis tried to play when he was clearly injured in game six in the playoffs last year against the Suns, Anthony Davis clearly was injured in those final games when they were playing, trying to make the play in. He clearly was injured and he went out there. They told him, listen, Anthony Davis, you want to play? You can't injure your foot anymore. It's, it, it feel, you feel discomfort. You can't hurt it anymore. Like, you know, it, it, to be honest, like it, like, you know, it's not like your foot going to fall off. He went out there and played. But I'm hearing he's injury prone instead of he's resilient. But I'm hearing that Kawhi Leonard, top 75 player he is, great defender he is, had a lot of great years he did. He sort of ended that, that Warriors dynasty. You can say he did. 
He ended that Heat dynasty. You can say he did. You have an argument for that. But Kawhi Leonard has missed so many games, and I don't hear any criticism by him being injury prone. Paul George had that horrible stretch in the playoffs. Well, he earned the name Pandemic P. He got a lot of slander. But I don't hear y'all putting that slander on the Clippers. I just want to just point out the facts about the Clippers. Now that they're out the playoffs, at the same point in time that the Lakers are out the playoffs, the Clippers, they've had a very questionable run with Kawhi and Paul George at the helm. The 2019-2020 season, we know COVID happened, but the Clippers made the playoffs in the bubble. They choked a 3-1 lead to the Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray-led Nuggets. And then the Nuggets went on to lose to the Lakers 4-1, and the Lakers went to the NBA Finals and won. In the 2020-2021 season, when the Lakers went out in the first round to the Phoenix Suns after having an injury-riddled year after they started off the 2020-2021 season doing well, the Lakers did, the Clippers made it to the Western Conference Finals. They were down 3-1 to one against the Mavericks and the Jazz. They came back, and they could not beat a Chris Paul, a Chris Paulist team because Chris Paul was out for the first two games because of COVID protocols. Y'all couldn't beat them. And then y'all make it respectable. Y'all come back and win a game. You come back and win a game or two. Made it interesting. But then y'all lose eventually to the Suns when Chris Paul comes back. And y'all lose in the Western Conference Finals. Now you have an amazing season, 42-40. and 40. You make the playing tournament. The Lakers didn't make it. But you lose two playing games where you were the number eight seed and you had two chances. You lost to the Timberwolves and then you lost to the Pelicans. Yeah, you didn't have Paul George, but you lost to the Pelicans. And you had the you had a 38-point quarter. You choked a 13-point lead. And you let a team with a losing record without their Supposed to be generational franchise player in Zion Williamson beat y'all. Well, y'all have been beating y'all have been beating teams this whole entire season, this whole entire 42 and 40 season with that same roster on the floor. Are the Clippers a failure? Because the Clippers were in the same bubble that the Lakers were. And they didn't produce. The Lakers won the championship. The Lakers were rolling before Anthony Davis got injured in 2021. The Lakers were doing well until LeBron got injured. And that's when things started to fall apart. Yeah, the Lakers season was a joke with Russell Westbrook. It wasn't good. And that acquisition, we all must admit, was not good. But the Lakers experiment, I would say it worked. Yeah, it's drama feel like now, right now, but when we look back at it, LeBron's time with the Lakers, he's set records. Personally, he's about to pass Kareem next year, won a championship, brought in some pretty high-level marquee players. The Clippers traded away Patrick Beverly. He then comes back and beats y'all in the playing tournament and barks on y'all, and then y'all can't even get it together against the Pelicans. That started the started the season 3-12, and 12. And we thought Zion didn't even want to play for them. We thought Zion played his last game for the Pelicans. He right there watching y'all choke. I got love for Tyron Lue, and I think that the Clippers are going to be dangerous next year when Kawhi and Paul George are back. 
And it is a shame that Paul George did not get the opportunity to play. All I'm saying is, I agree with everyone on Twitter that's saying this. We really should look at if the Clippers experiment was a failure, because it seems like the Lakers experiment, it worked out pretty well. But I digress. But I just wanted to say that. I just wanted to, to have this as food for thought. We'll move on. All right. But listen, um, great playing tournament. Um, I love the playing tournament. Uh, I believe that the playing tournament should stay. And the NBA is doing the right thing. I felt the same level of intensity, if not more, because I love basketball as I did during the divisional rounds of the NFL playoffs, man. Um, that Hawks game, I was hyped, man. I ain't been that hype since probably the 2016 NBA Finals Game 7. Like, I was watching with my brother. We were going crazy. And then the Pelicans versus the Clippers. It was so intense towards the end. And I just believe that the playing tournament is a precursor to what's going to be an amazing playoff starting tomorrow. There was only one blowout. And, of course, the Hawks blew out the Hornets. But there was only one blowout. Think about that. So if these teams that are at the bottom of the conference, they were the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th in the East and the West, and they put on a great show in the play-in, imagine what the playoffs are going to look like. Nothing is determined. We think we know who's going to win, but we don't really know because the variables change every day. And also COVID is still very much a problem and there might be a surge coming and some players might go in health and safety protocols similar to what happened in last year's playoffs. So we just really don't know. So everything is on the table. So you never know who could run the gambit. The Grizzlies might make the finals. The Hawks might have a Cinderella run. The Pelicans might beat the Suns. You never know. But we'll have more crystallized as we move through the weekend and as we get into the crust of the playoffs. I'm so excited. Make sure to listen to my previous show to hear my predictions for what's going on. But I'll say that now that the Pelicans have made it, because I thought the Clippers would, I believe that the Pelicans are going to definitely get swept by the Suns. I'm sorry, unless Zion Williamson makes a comeback. But I'll, I'll give them some respect because they showed me something today. They'll take one game. It'll be a gentleman sweep. They'll take one game because I think that CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram are like that. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to see what happens. But I'm super excited. The playoff bracket is set. History has been made. And now it's playoff season, Saturday, 1 p.m. The Mavericks versus the Jazz. I'm ready. I'm locked in. And I'm going to be covering the playoffs all playoff season. Make sure to tap in and follow Pulse Radio 100 on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, and just Pulse Radio on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Pulse Radio. Ah.